Thought Bubble Audio. Hi, I'm Kirsty. And I'm Kelsey. And it's time to hate watch with us. Welcome to our variety show for sarcastic people. I just, your internet cuts out most of the time when we do this intro, so I usually miss the first part of you saying your name, but this particular time, <laughs> it, it was like, it was the best garble yet, oh. I think. Listen, my internet is a special being. <laughs> it has its own free will. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. doesn't really like our podcast that creature. much. No, it really doesn't. Neither, as it turns out, did my prospective podcasting closet. (laughs) Yeah? My apologies to any of you who downloaded last week's episode. Sorry about that. (laughs) (laughs) Kirstie said she tested this one for three seconds before we started. I did test this one. And already, the, like, waveforms on Audacity are a completely different animal. I think... My voice just cannot be contained by a cupboard under the stairs, as it turns out. It is a very loud voice. There's just so much raw power You're right. there. You're right. Yeah. Just, my microphone was like, couldn't even. <laughs> much like us in this moment. <laughs> Guys, we made some choices. We made every choice. We put off this episode for, like, seven days because we've been watching Outlander. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, should should I issue my other related apology? I don't know what it was, so yes. Oh, you'll remember as soon as I start. Um, so last week I was really mean to men. Oh, yeah! And then we started watching Outlander. (laughs) And between Outlander and the production team on Outlander, I just feel the need to say, not all men. There, you got it out of me. Are you happy? I believe we defined it as just HBO's men. Just HBO's men. Like, not really. There's also more, but specifically related to this podcast, Uh HBO's men can all go suck it. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Ban HBO's men. Yes. Keep Outlander's men, though. Yeah, we All like men them. could learn a lesson from Outlander's men. <laughs> oh, boy. In more <laughs> ways than one, I think. Heyo! <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a podcast for another day. Yes. As it turns out, folks, we are here for a reason this week. Kirstie, we have to explain the situation that we've fallen into with this reason. Tell me more. Politically. Oh, yes. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. We, because <laughs> it's not it our is fault. the year 2018, <laughs> and no one can have nice things. <laughs> Even our podcast. <laughs> Even our podcast. So, for those of you who were here back when we did our Emmys coverage, there was a moment in that episode where we were angry about a snub or something. It doesn't matter. But the idea was born for... The really fucking good television award show for nice people only. All caps. <laughs> All caps. Rolls right off the tongue. Really great for marketing purposes. Just all around good idea. Right. And then we were going to do it in December, and then we were going to do it like a week ago, and now we're doing it now instead. 
And in the time since we scheduled it the first time and this night of ours, upon which we are recording, a certain political figure in the United States decided to launch his own spoof award show. Also in all caps. (laughs) Also in all caps. Also promoted on Twitter, much like ours will be. Um, and accidentally went and made ours political. <laughs> yeah. But ours came first, to be clear. Ours came first. We just wanted to specify that, um, because this episode is going to drop on Tuesday, and according <laughs> to Twitter, this gentleman's spoof award show is going to drop on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Who knows? So we just wanted to be clear that this is not a political act. Right. It's just awkward for us all now. (laughs) (laughs) Now the U.S. government had to go make shit awkward. Right. But ours is a lot nicer. It's for nice people only. Right. So if you don't want to participate in the bad awards, you can listen to our awards and they'll make you happy. We'll make you so happy. So as we said a moment ago, this is the really fucking good television award show for nice people only. Welcome! Welcome! We didn't prepare like an intro song. No, we should have. I know. We should have done, like, a really snappy number. And someone should come up with a bop. (laughs) (laughs) We're not really musically inclined, as you've you've learned when we've decided to sing. Now, if we could knit a theme song, (laughs) we would be in business. You're right. (laughs) Um, What do people need to know? About this endeavor before we dive in. There will be 11 categories plus two special awards, I think. And there's a couple of guidelines here. And Kirstie's a little bitter about them, but she'll thank me next year. That is not true. Uh, stop. <laughs> I can't do this I remain anymore. angry. <laughs> I can't take it anymore. As I mentioned, I've been watching Outlander, and I feel there has been a snub in this award show. Okay, all right. (laughs) We snubbed our own awards, guys. Anyway, the rules that we came up with, since this should be an annual event, and we want to be relevant (laughs) in the world-ish, is that we Uh have to only award Uh content that came out in 2017. So that can include individual episodes of a series that started in 2016, but it can only be the episodes that dropped in 2017. It can also be content that dropped onto streaming in the U.S. in 2017, which is a caveat for Mm -hmm. a couple of, like, Canadian and British shows that I know we watched this year. As long as it became available to us in 2017, we can talk about it. Uh, which is slightly different rules than Pilot Palooza. So yes. I kept trying to use Pilot Palooza technicalities because there were some things I wanted to talk about. We will let you speak. <laughs> Not today, but a day. Not today. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. I just really like Outlander, guys. Christy, I'm just going to catch up this weekend and then call you and let you vent your feelings. <laughs> oh my god, I'm going to yell. For a very long time. Shocker. But in the meantime. <laughs> in the meantime. <laughs> in the meantime. Since I can't yell. 
So how this is going to work is each of us is going to pitch our contender for the category. We don't know what each other has picked, and then we're going to come to a consensus on what should win. So we kind of have to argue, but we're going to be concise, supposedly. Well, yes. I happen to know for a fact all of mine are extremely concise. Yeah, mine are too, so I'm not too worried. Great. Good start already. It is. So do you want to kick us off? Do you want to do first category? All right. Great. Our first category will be for Wildest Ride. It will. Yes. Wildest Ride in television for nice people only. Yes. So my pick for Wildest Ride was Eurovision 2017. Tell me more. So the reason I choose Eurovision as my wildest ride is because this was quite literally the wildest fucking ride I was on in all of 2017. (laughs) I had never seen a Eurovision before. I had no idea what I was in for. And also, Eurovision is just buck wild. Buck wild. But more than that, Everybody on Eurovision is nice. It's a very nice thing. It is definitely the wildest ride for nice people only. Kirsty, this may be the most boring award show of all time now. (laughs) (laughs) My wildest ride was Eurovision 2017. (laughs) (laughs) This is off to a great start. You hit that so well. I know. (laughs) So by unanimous vote. I just want to talk about some of the wild things that were part of Eurovision this year in particular, though. Yes. That includes the Moldovian sax players. Mm Mm-hmm. Sexy sax guy for the win. Yes. The just overwhelming national pride. Yes. The... Horsehead from Azerbaijan. <laughs> and Never forget. The yodeling. Oh, the yodeling! Yeah, that's what really yes. sold it for me. That's right, there was yodeling. Oh my god. It Just like start to finish, there was never a moment where I wasn't like, what the fuck is happening to me right now? But in the single most positive way a person can mean that. Yeah, I was overjoyed to be stuck in front of the television for six hours and not able to pause. <laughs> well, even... <laughs> yeah, that's the other part of it. Um, even the when the boats were coming in, like, when you're just watching the part where you're waiting for the tallies yeah. to come in by text message across all of Europe, like, even that was kind of wild. And everyone was so nice. They were all so nice. Everyone would pop up on the screen and be like, hello from... Random Europe. I forgot every country. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, all of Europe. (laughs) I wish I'd remembered the Christmas Prince place in that moment. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, congratulations, Eurovision 2017, on being our wildest ride winner. Congratulations. It's quite an honor. Um, Here to collect... The award is the horse head. No, I'm kidding. Um, The horse head. (laughs) (laughs) The camera pans to sexy sax guy in the audience. Right. (laughs) Our next category is favorite Canadian person. This is one of my pet favorite categories. Yeah, it's Hate Watch's favorite Canadian. 
So my pick is someone who I have named Rosehip Jelly Lady. (laughs) (laughs) From Cottage Life Network's original program, What's for Sale with a View. She was really out there. But in a nice way. She was just looking for a lighthouse, and she really couldn't decide whether she wanted to own a lighthouse or look at a lighthouse, but everything was just fantastic. (laughs) And she got very excited about making rosehip jelly at one point, and she was just so, so happy to be looking at what's for sale at The View. And oftentimes I think about saying fantastic out loud and then I realized <laughs> no one understands this reference outside of Kirstie and the people listening to this podcast. <laughs> I tried it once after telling the story about that episode. I was talking to someone about Cottage Life Television and I described this woman and I was I was saying like she referred to everything as fantastic. And even when I said that, Everyone would be like, oh, haha, fantastic. And I'm like, no. No. Fantastic. 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 (laughs) So that is my submission to this category. (laughs) A strong contender. Thank you. So my pick for Hate Watch's favorite Canadian person of 2017 is none other than Sandra Rinamano. Sandra Rinamano is the host of By Herself, which is on Canadian HGTV, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a step above Cottage Life. And By Herself, we did a whole episode on it. You can go back and listen. But By Herself is a show where Sandra Rinamano takes lowly single women and helps them buy condos in Toronto. And Sandra Rinamano is a ball buster, She is not here to fuck around, but she's also definitely here to hang out with you in a hipster bar and drink Frilly Cosmos. It makes her well-rounded, it makes her fun, and she'll buy you a condo while she's at it, and then give you a pink tape measure to celebrate. I would like to argue that Sandra Rinomato is not nice because she always highlights how single the single women of Toronto are. (laughs) But she also, like, tries to go out with them and be their girlfriends. Like, she's always buying them wine and relating about their divorces and trying to help them through their emotional existential crisis as a single woman. But she's trying to get them to cry on TV. I mean, she might be a problematic fave, but she's very nice. I don't know that she is. (laughs) She bought a lady a pink tape measure. Yeah, but was it fantastic? <laughs> I think it was. <laughs> I would also argue that you didn't see all of the all of the episodes. You only saw two. But there was like one episode where she basically gives a girl the YNAB speech. So she was like kicking her ass because she hadn't actually thought about her budget. And so she refused to show her like any more condos until she like got her life in order. And was, like, walking her through how to get her monthly finances together. Like, that's above and beyond what a real estate agent would do, let alone a TV host. That's true. But it's good life advice. And it got her through, and she bought a condo, and her life was fulfilled afterwards. In spite of being a single woman. In spite of being single. Painfully (laughs) single with one sink in her bathroom. So lost and single. No (laughs) guest rooms for you, single woman. (laughs) 
It's only you here. For you are single. (laughs) However, while Sandra does like to reinforce that these women are single, Sandra herself seems to be single. Yes. So why is she going to be? She's playing in the same league. I don't know. (laughs) Just. I think it's just part of her ball busting attitude. All right. So we have to come down to a final decision. It's like house hunters. It is like house hunters. We're in the final two. (laughs) So I suppose for me. Yeah. I see both of them. Mm hmm. I think both are great candidates. They are. Sandra Riamano feels like someone who will stay with me, while Rose Hip Jelly Lady was a <laughs> a one hit wonder. You know, we're never going to see her again after having bought her lighthouse. I agree, and I also so I'm going to let you win this one. Really, I'm going to let you win. It's not the hill I'm going to die on. <laughs> wow, that's I know. buck wild. No. Um, well, in a last minute upset, I'm going to come in for Rose Hip Jelly Lady. Why? <laughs> because. <laughs> We're I'm so unpredictable. Bad at this. <laughs> well, because Sandra will be around for other things. Okay. And. I, I don't know. It came to me when you said if we're talking about, like, our favorite Canadian. Mm-hmm. Because it was like, this is maybe the hilarious most hilarious and tried to make that into a word it's not the most hilarious <laughs> canadian we've encountered yeah that's probably like true. she may be a one-hit wonder but it was a very worthwhile one hit and i like to think of her as like the beacon of cottage life network that is so yeah she could be the mascot canada cottage life network is fantastic fantastic watch all of our shows they're fantastic she could have a cooking show about making roast hip jelly Oh my god. All right. right. Congratulations, Rose Hip Jelly Lady. Sorry, Sandra. Sorry, Sandra. I still love you. You're still (laughs) my hero. Okay. So next up, we have the Lil Higgy's Knitting Corner Award. We do. So this award is going to a show that in some form or another, we believe, has embraced the spirit of Lil Higgy and his knitting corner. Yes. So I chose what I believe will be a controversial candidate. Ooh. And I chose it for one reason and one reason alone. Okay. I'm ready. I chose HGTV Canada's by herself. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Tell me what that is again. <laughs> and I... <laughs> Hopefully that rings a bell or two. Um, I chose this show because of all of the TV I've watched this year, especially ones that I watched in one sitting. This was the show where I accomplished the most knitting by far. I remember you talking about this. Yeah, yeah. I did like 15 inches of a blanket in one day. And it was only like nine episodes. So that's a lot of knitting in a short period of time. And I remember saying to Kelsey in the Slack channel, like, or maybe it was on the podcast. Y'all might have heard this, too. Who knows? <laughs> Either way, I remember saying, like, that it was a great member of Lil Higgy's Knitting Corner, but I never would have expected it. And Kelsey was like, hey, we don't make the rules. And it's true, because Lil Higgy 
and his knitting corner are where you would least expect them to be. Right. That metaphor was going to come out differently somehow, and it didn't, but just assume that every condo in Toronto has a knitting corner. (laughs) (laughs) If you just blow out that wall over there, you can see the knitting corner (laughs) while you're cooking dinner. (laughs) Watch the sunrise over your knitting corner. (laughs) (laughs) But, but like, I might if I had one. Single women might not be allowed to have guest rooms or two sinks in the bathroom, but they are allowed to have knitting corners. Right. (laughs) Who's your candidate, Kelsey? My candidate is the one and only Grand Designs. Yep. I considered that one. Not an upset here, but there's a few things that work in its favor. The episodes are very similar in structure, which is not different than by herself, but... Uh, Kevin McLeod has a very, like, soothing tone. No one really ever Mm -hmm. gets too upset. You can just kind of, like, even if you're working on something tough or, like, taking out a row for the 16th time, you're not going to get upset while you're watching Grand Designs. Uh, everyone is fairly nice, uh, including Kevin, even when he's criticizing. And (laughs) the only thing you really have to pay attention to and put down your needles for is the reveal at the end. And I think that's pretty good for, like, an hour-long show. Yeah. I personally have a very, very hard time knitting while watching Grand Designs. I've tried it a couple times, and it does not work for me. I think because they spend so much time doing, like, very dramatic, like, drone tours of the house, even during construction. They do. Um, so it's not it's not as basic as like house hunters where, you know, it's just a cameraman walking into a room and holding the camera there for a second. Yeah. And a lot of the time Kevin McLeod is getting in there and like geeking out over structural engineering or historical preservation or whatever. And I feel like it comes down to details that I end up wanting to pay attention for. And then overall, I just find Kevin McLeod so captivating that, like, when he's on screen monologuing, I tend to put down my needles. (laughs) (laughs) We do love a good monologue. I do love Kevin McLeod when he monologues. Well, see, that's my problem with By Herself and other shows like it in the House Hunters vein is that because they go so quickly from house to house, I feel like I don't get a chance to see it if I'm in the middle of a row. Mm-hmm. But they also go back to the exact same shot of each house, like, 12 times. Yeah! So even if you miss it the first time, you'll get it when you come back from commercial or when they go to make the final decision. They do, but you get less detail. Like, sometimes I want to make my guess up front before they cut to the end. You know what I mean? I care so little about each individual place. Because as soon as they make their decision, I'm going to forget about every house they ever looked at or everything they ever talked about. Yeah, but my stake in the game is just to judge the houses as they go. I suppose. So if I can't see them, I can't judge them. I feel like I can get just enough out of my perifs to still make fun of it. I don't know. I feel like it's easier to watch house touring shows from your perifs than it is to watch Kevin McLeod being smart about architecture out of your perifs. But he can talk and you don't have to be watching. Unless he's showing you stuff, That's which he true. often is. He, he does sometimes. But I think they're just very like, slow and meticulous with a lot of their shots, so it's easier to actually catch, like, a glance of things. The other thing I'll give you 
on Grand Design's behalf is that I think there's a lot of different ways to look at criteria for the Little Higgy's Knitting Corner Award. And if you wanted to look at, like, the spirit of Little Higgy and, like, niceness in general, Grand Designs definitely sort of fits in that area better than by herself. Are you saying that I win again? I'm just throwing it out there that there are different ways at looking at what makes a good candidate for Little Higgy's Knitting Corner. It's either the spirit of Little Higgy or it's your ability to knit. Well, which host would be more likely to wear a knitted item knit during their show probably kevin mcleod since he loves some sensible outerwear and some scarves he also really likes trolling people yeah that said sandra Rinamano definitely wore a knitter to herself and she likes it when people treat her like a fairy godmother so if you sent her something you knit while watching her show she would definitely either try to get you on the show to buy a condo or she would find some way to talk about this scarf you knit her tearfully on television and talk about the impact that she's had on people's lives. And she'd be like, this is a single woman who made this scarf for me. (laughs) By herself. By herself. (laughs) (laughs) You have no idea how many times while moving I made by herself jokes. I got at least like 20 of them on Snapchat, so I could only imagine. It was was so tough because no one else on my Snapchat knew what I was talking about. I was like, I don't even fucking care. (laughs) Uh, Well, since I got to make the final choice on the last one, you get to have the final vote on Lil Higgy's Knitting Corner. All right, I'm going to give you your by herself based on productivity and the fact that I could also be productive during HGTV-adjacent content with my knitting. (laughs) Little hint of a superiority complex there? No, I just didn't find myself knitting during By Herself, so I can't say for sure whether that one worked for me or not. Gotcha. I see what you're playing at. All right. Congratulations, Sandra. You got one, Sandra. By Yourself. Don't get too cocky, Sandra. (laughs) Sandra, calm down. (laughs) It's not all about you. (laughs) All right. All right, Kelsey, you're up as presenter. Our fourth award, the most cinematic visual on TV this year. The one I'm going to pick, I've talked about on this podcast before, and I will be brief, is Mm. the glass block wall lit wonderfully Mm. on Better Call Saul. Yeah. They utilize it a handful of times this past season. It's wonderful. They usually have it in like a dark sunset or darker time of day. And then they have the the, like silhouettes of whoever's talking sort of leaning against the wall or in proximity to it. And it's just my favorite thing about that show and the thing that stuck with me all year. And it's very nice to look at. Indeed. Those are lovely shots. So mine was a struggle to get to. Mm -hmm. So I'll admit that up front. This also, I feel squirrely about this, but you guys know how I feel about spoilers. This might be a spoiler, but it's also like history, like world history. So like, shut up. But I am going to go with Princess Margaret's wedding from The Crown. 
What? Yeah, she got married, um, you know, in like the 60s. So figure it out. So uh, the reason I chose this is because the crown is often trying to walk this line, especially for things that were well documented in history, like Princess Margaret's wedding was actually televised, mm-hmm. of trying to do like documentary and trying to do complete fiction fantasy. Yeah. Like they're always trying to decide between those two things. And I think in this scene, they actually did it slightly better than they did for, like, Elizabeth's wedding in season one. Mm-hmm. They had some really good panning shots of Margaret's procession going to the Abbey uh, that felt really lifelike. They weren't necessarily in those shots trying to mimic, like, the live television shots the way they would have for Elizabeth's wedding. But they were they went for that feel without trying to, like, put it on a little tiny 1960s TV. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, they were, like, cutting in lots of shots of Margaret's face in the, like, carriage and her hanging out with Philip and them having, like, a moment together. I don't know. It was, like, very sweet, but also felt like it was a little bit more rooted in realism. Like, they were walking that line better than they sometimes do. Interesting. Yeah. I haven't seen it yet, so I don't have a good frame of reference, but I do know the... <laughs> Other frames of references that you're referring to, so I can picture it. Yeah. I mean, basically, it was, like, big shots of adoring British people and a lavish royal horse carriage and a chick in a puffy white dress. Right. So how do we decide here? I'm giving you Better Call Saul. You are? Yeah. Just right off the bat? Yeah. I mean, I'll take it. (laughs) I also want to add, if we're going to talk about niceness. Sure. They often use that location to have conversations that are more, like, humane and not nice necessarily, but more honest than a lot of the other portions of that show. That's, like, more vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, They use that... I've only seen season one and, like, a tiny bit of season two, and they use that in the earlier seasons as well. So I can only imagine, like with where the story is going, that it was put to really good use this year. So I feel confident giving you that one. Wow. Congrats to the glass block wall thing that I don't really know what to call. (laughs) Better Call Saul was another one that we felt got personally slighted by the Emmys and inspired this award show. So that also feels well-deserved. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. All right. All right. So our next award is for Most Romantical Moment of TV in 2017. Now, my candidate for this award is something where if you had told me this in the fall when we were first planning this award show, I would not have believed you. It goes against what I thought I believed until the exact moment that it happened. So curious. Uh, And this will also be a spoiler for those of you who have not watched TV since December. Uh, or November or whatever. But oh, the moment I know is, what this is. Yeah, you do. The moment is Jane and Raphael kissing in front of the window um, right before the hiatus. Mm-hmm. It was the closing scene of that episode. The whole episode was framed around all of the times that Raphael has had to tell her to be brave. And, like, the three particular times he pushed her towards her writing career. And it's one of those moments that... Jane the Virgin does this all all the time. 
in their back and forth between Jane and Raphael, where they have really hard times, and then suddenly Raphael is, like, this soft, gentle hero. Mm -hmm. And this is one of those episodes where he's just, like, a shining example of a human being. And I love their friendship, and you guys all know how I feel about friend love versus romantic love, so I have not had any interest in them getting together romantically since the beginning. And then they started kissing, and I was like, I want this. This is good for me right now. (laughs) (laughs) Can you also talk about the effect that was happening around them? Yes, so they're in in Jane's kitchen, and there's these two windows that open up, and there's this, like, breeze coming in, and there's a tree outside, and there's these white petals raining in through the window, uh, which is a parallelism that the show has used forever. It's reflected in, like, the snow-falling motif, and whenever she, and or not whenever, but several times when she and Raph in particular have kissed, it's been white petals instead of other white floating objects. So it's just, like, it was beautifully framed and beautifully done, and it's so romantic, and I'm obsessed with it. I really like that pick. I picked something from Master of None. Okay. And I really wanted Master of None to be in this list in a lot of places, and it didn't make the cut in a lot of places, but it was one of my favorite, favorite, favorite things that I watched this year. Same. And what I picked was the episode, I believe it's episode nine, it's the second to last one. Mm-hmm. And... I'm, I'm like a little rusty on the details of some of this, so I may be wrong, but I believe it's the episode. It's very much framed up in traditional rom-com style. Uh, they kind of play at it through the whole episode, but there's been like a back and forth with uh, Aziz Ansari's character and then this girl from Italy who's engaged to this Italian guy, but who's staying in New York and it's like this whole big thing and then she comes over during a snowstorm and gets like snowed in with Aziz Ansari whose character I can't remember Dev thank you and so they get snowed in and they just like kind of goof around and there's this whole scene in the kitchen where they like drink wine and they're like dancing and like being whatever (laughs) having a great time but what was romantical about it was a i'm a sucker for (laughs) like rom-com tensions but b like the tone setting and like the lighting in the actual scene is romantical Mm -hmm. it was just like really eye-catching and there's like snow falling outside and it's like kind of dim and it's this whole big thing um so that's what I picked for most romantical. I think you know you know the scene I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It I was agree. one of my favorite scenes of the season. And that one also, like, softened me up a little bit. And you guys know I'm not much of a sucker for, like, romantical scenes. Because I'm like, I know what you're doing. I know what you're trying to sell me right now. But that was very sweet. And the two of them have such a natural chemistry. Yeah. Like, they're goofing around in the kitchen, and it's, like, very sweet and silly. And I don't think it even leads to anything. I think it's all very innocent. No, they just, like, stay up all night talking after their dance party. And it kind of worked for me. Yeah, it was so sweet and, like, so natural. Yeah. It was a very good scene. However, I'm going to give you the romantical grand gesture. Yeah, I definitely wasn't going to be able to step down from that one. No. (laughs) I totally hear you. I think it was great. 
it wasn't my most romantical moment, but it was a very romantical moment, and I think it's very worthy of being the winner. Yeah, I think what got me is that, like, Jane has just been on such a journey mm-hmm. recently, and, well, through the whole thing, really, but, like, recently, and this episode was such a firm and, like, well-crafted reminder that Raph has been there for her since the beginning of everything. Yeah, because they had painted him kind of in a bad light for a while. Yeah, he's had a rough run. this was a nice redemption arc. Yeah. That didn't seem... Well, it was based on, like, him being there all along versus something stupid and, you know, forced. They just built in that was like, suddenly he's a nice guy. Right, right. Which they are guilty of doing with Raphael. Yeah. They do that all the time. But this was what we've seen of him and some scenes that they made up that we hadn't seen. And it was like, hey, friendly reminder that no matter what has happened in their relationship, Raphael has always been there pushing her for what's best. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, he's, like, not bad to look at ever. Yeah. If we want to play that game. <laughs> I do want to play that game all the time. Actually, speaking of that game. Speaking of that game. It's time for a special award. It's time for a special award. Welcome to the mid-show award section. Instead of an in-memoriam, we did something better. Mm-hmm. This is... Are you ready? I'm so ready. It's the Is He Hot or Is He Tall Award. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> the most highly anticipated award of the year, no it doubt. certainly is. <laughs> Um, I'm very excited to hear about your candidate. You gave me quite the teaser earlier. So I told Kirsty this was someone that I don't think we've ever discussed before. Which is just like a buck wild concept to me. I may be wrong, but my nominee for Is He Hot or Is He Tall is Cheedy. Ooh, shit. <laughs> I'm just gonna oh, leave it at that. One. I'm just gonna leave it at that. We don't need to defend our is he hot or is he talls. No, but but I won. I know. <laughs> you might have, yeah. <laughs> hot damn. Um, <laughs> I was not expecting that from you. I know. <laughs> we should talk about this at some point. <laughs> <laughs> to be clear, he's also very nice. He's, like, the nicest. I know. I have it so hot for Chidi. Like, he's my favorite. Right. How can you not? Ugh. He might be both hot and tall, also. Hold on, I'm looking up his height. <laughs> <laughs> Is this gonna come down to measurement? No, I just like to be thorough. All right. <laughs> um, while I do that, <laughs> my pick was somewhat of a of an easy pick. Because this gentleman is both hot and tall. Oh, boy. He's very comfortably in both set of criteria. And that young sir is none other than Justin Baldoni. I thought that was coming. <laughs> Shocking, I know. <laughs> he's 6'2", so he's quite tall. And, like, he is just a beautiful specimen. Yeah, his Instagram has kind of put me off, though. Oh, yeah, I stopped following him because I didn't want to spoil the magic. I'm really uncomfortable now. <laughs> I'm, like, fully 
fully not here for that. <laughs> if you had said it was Raphael, we could have a different conversation. Sure. I just can't. It's really funny. <laughs> yeah, I followed him for such a brief period of time that he didn't have time to ruin it for me. His Instagram is a mix of talking about not being man enough or like <laughs> something like that. Yeah, that's his new social cause. So he did like a TED talk about it was supposed to be about like toxic masculinity, but it right. was about like people thinking you're not masculine enough or something. Right. And then some religion that's like almost like Scientology, maybe, arguably. Oh, I missed that. I don't know. There's a Glad lot of that, that lately. And there's CrossFit. And then his kids. Yeah. Which are fine. But, like... Well, at first it was very cute, but when his wife was still pregnant, he was, like, a little too obsessed with kissing her belly. Yeah. And, like, that is lovely, be an engaged father, kiss her belly all you want, but don't put it on Instagram every time. Yeah. But I understand where you're coming from with the nomination. And I appreciate it. so hot and so tall. I know, I know. I am absolutely going to give you Chidi. He's 5'10". That's not that tall. I know. That's what makes him perfect for the Hotter Tall Award. (laughs) (laughs) Well done. Well done. We're so proud of you, Chidi. I really like Chidi. Me too. I love him so much. I can't believe we've never talked about this. I can't believe that I won. You fucking broke me with it, too. I was I, I don't know why. I was, like, not expecting that. He's so good, though. I spent a long time, like, agonizing over who I would pick, and then it came to me, and I was like, oh! <laughs> Absolutely the right answer. He's so good. He is very good. And he's, like, the most fun. He's the most fun, and he's so nice. He's so, so nice. He's too he's nice for his own good. That's so why he's nice. in the bad place, but... Well, so that was, like, the most shocking thing to me of that whole plot twist, is when they're going through why everybody is in the bad place, and they're like, because you were too indecisive. It's like, like, I get it, I get it, but like, also, Also, like... sing me the song of my people. <laughs> Is it the same to me anymore? <laughs> Sing me would be a really good time for a commercial break (laughs) oh my god oh lord i'm crying so bad (laughs) it's a rare moment when you're the one who gets broken (laughs) (laughs) okay all right it's your turn okay (laughs) 
So the next award is for the most Michael Schur moment. So it's specifically named after Michael Schur because we all have strong feelings. Those of you who've been around with the show for a little while know that we all have strong feelings about Michael Schur and the world of niceness that he has created. The caveat is that a candidate for this award does not necessarily need to be a Mike Schur show. Um, it just needs to have been created in the spirit of the nice things that Mike Sure does for all of us. Yes. That said, my entry is actually Mike Sure, and it is Jake and Amy's proposal from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Interesting. So I chose this one in part because a Mike Sure proposal is always safe. Mm-hmm. He, by this point, knows what he's doing every time he lays out a proposal. The other thing that they did, which is also, like, very Mike Sure, is they used a, like, pre-existing thing in the show universe that's already really hyped and has a strong connection to the characters to play out the proposal. Yeah. So the reason it was so sweet and romantical is because they do it as part of the heist, and it's all very elaborate, and Amy never sees it coming, and then he's able to propose to her with the heist belt, and it's like a whole thing. I think that's my whole argument. It like it feels very peak Mike Sure. Yes. So I picked something that was not Mike Sure because I felt ever so slightly I don't want to say let down, but I didn't feel like Mike Sure delivered exactly what I needed him to deliver for me this year. Hmm. I did like the proposal. I know I talked about it when it happened. Yeah, you had a lot of feelings at the time. So what I picked was something off brand. And something that I know you did not like. <laughs> oh, boy. However. Contentious. One of the things that Mike sure does is create sort of like a heightened reality and a little bit wacky and goofy of a world. And some things that he does is he'll kind of like hit you in the gut while also being funny. Mm-hmm. And so what I picked was the Brohelio moment. Andre and the Virgin, when Rogelio names his child, gives him the middle name of Michaelina. (laughs) And it was so stupid, more stupid because he named his baby baby. Yeah. (laughs) I know we have feelings, but in the spirit of being really silly and also saying something that just, like, rips you apart inside, in this, like, very wacky, weird, like, silly situation that is my uh my vote i'll give you that one mostly because i think jake and amy's proposal was kind of a given like we all had to know it was coming and proposals are also like easy in terms of emotional impact like obviously everyone's gonna have feelings about a proposal yeah but jane the virgin is always looking for sneaky ways to like twist the knife a little bit yeah and that's all this was it was like Hey, remember how Rogelio and Michael were best friends and that was the only friend Rogelio ever had? Do you remember? Yep. <laughs> now you do. Ugh. And that's not in the spirit of, like, Mike Sure. in some ways. It is and isn't, but, like, he hasn't dealt with the same content, but it felt right. similar. Right. However. Right. Oh, wait. Well, are, you, are you just giving me the win? Yeah, you can go with your however. No, go. Well, <laughs> Carry what on. You say? I mean, I can still give it to you and hear your argument. No, I think that you were correct that the proposal was like very classic Mike Sure. 
Yeah. And it hit in a lot of the same ways that, like, the Jim and Pam and the Ben and Leslie kind of do. Yeah. And I also think that it was very true to the characters. I think he always does a good job of being very true to the characters, like, in that moment. Right. And that one, it was, like, just as kind of, like, off the cuff and, like, special but also casual as it had to be. Right. Yeah. So I think I'm going to give you Brahelios. Even though you hated it. I didn't, like, hate it. It just, it wasn't, like, the sweet gut punch for me that it was supposed to be. I, like, got really emotional. <laughs> it didn't, it, for because for me, in some ways, it felt too easy. Like, not that this is wrong, but Jane the Virgin has spent a lot of time on sort of the symbolic in-memoriam stuff. They have. And again, I'm not saying that's wrong. Almost all of it has been necessary and wildly effective. But especially because the baby's name is already Baby, it was just kind of like, yeah, all right, it's Michael. Great. Thank you. Yeah, Michael died. I'm sad. Cool. I think it was just one of those things, like, they've used the exact same mechanism before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it still was, like, because it was so silly and just ridiculous that I I didn't even prepare myself for it. And they kind of brushed over it. And, like, they had that one moment of, like, acknowledgement that happened, and then they moved on. Yeah. And I had that same exact reaction that I saw Jane have of, like, welling up and then being like, okay, this weird child's name baby, let's address this. (laughs) (laughs) It was one of those moments where I was like, all right, I see you. I see what you're doing. Yeah. And, you know, whenever I have that reaction, it, like, takes me out of the moment a little bit. But it also isn't wrong. Like, I have a lot of feelings about Rohelios, so. I do, too. And, like, it's been such a slow burn watching Rohelio recover from everything. Like, his dealing with his grief has been mm-hmm. a much slower burn than some of the other characters. Yeah. So, in that sense, it, it has more weight. Oh, it, like, breaks my heart. <laughs> Ready to move on? Yeah. Congrats, Rohelios and me. Um <laughs> You're killing it tonight, Kelsey. (laughs) So our next award is the time that we got the most got in 2017. Yes. And I'm going to go with very, very similar. Michael getting killed off Mm. on Jane the Virgin. I really toyed with that one. Spoiler alert. I toyed with that so hard. So there's a couple things here. Narratively, I got the most got because they have told you all along through the narrator that this was going to happen. And Mm -hmm. the first time that this almost happened, they teased us with it and then it didn't. So when it happened again, they kept, you know, building it up and building it up. And I was like, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. I really didn't believe that it would, Mm -hmm. even though I knew that it could. And in another sense, I got the most got because no... TV show has ever just emotionally destroyed yes. me this way. Yep. Like, I cried and cried and cried and cried. <laughs> I literally cried for days. I didn't know what to do. Like, I couldn't watch the next episodes. Like, I cried through most episodes since then, truly. Yeah. It took me about three episodes, I want to say, before I didn't cry at the opening of an episode. It was just, like, the most gut-wrenching, horrifying thing. And I wasn't expecting it from any TV show, never mind this TV show. Mm -hmm. So Jane the Virgin got me good. Real, real good. 
Yeah, I toyed with that one. I spent a really long time debating over whether or not to put that in. And the reason I chose not to is just because it was foreshadowed. And it was one of those things where the episode before and the beginning of that episode, they were like really heavy handed with the foreshadowing. And I don't know if it was just like denial or what, but I didn't really hear that as like anything other than what the narrator usually does until the moment that it happened and it all like came rushing at me. Yeah, I remember I texted you that I was nervous and then everything hit the fan almost immediately. (laughs) Yeah, I guess like the thing that got me the most is not that it happened or that it happened when it did because I knew approximately when it was coming, but that it was like so ordinary. Oh, I, I thought he'd go out in like a blaze of glory, which was like the point of the whole thing. It was the worst thing. Yeah, was, that was tough. But tell me tell me when you got the most got in 2017. On a much, much, much lighter note. Tell me. The one that got me, um, and this one also got me in a couple different ways, is the final shot of episode 10 of season two of Master of None. Ho, 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 ho. Yeah. So this is after Francesca, who's the chick from Italy, has been in New York for a period of time. Dev now has feelings for her. She's engaged to this Italian guy. She's, like, waffled on whether or not she's going back to Italy with him, the Italian guy, and then decides at the last minute that she is. And you see her in the hallway of a building with her fiancé and all of their luggage, and they're arguing. And then it cuts, and then you think it's going to go to the credits, but instead it goes to a shot of her and Dev laying on his bed. And she's no longer wearing her engagement ring. Yep. And I was so wrapped up in having these, like, messy feelings about wanting Dev and Francesca to be together. And, like, what it would mean now that Francesca was going back to Italy. And I was anticipating, like, in my head, I'm like, oh, so season three is going to be all about him, like, getting over Francesca. And now we're going to go back to the season one style, like, dating jokes and whatever. And then it's like, boom, just kidding. They're in bed together. Now what? Right. And we also don't know, like, is that a dream sequence? Is that a flashback? Uh-huh. Is that a flash forward? Like, what is it? Right. And it's not It's not even, like, there's an implication that, like, they definitely slept together or, like, whatever. They're just in bed together. Like, both on top of the blankets, fully clothed. Yep. And it's just this silent, still shot of them laying there with, like, these sort of stunned looks on their faces. I'm gonna give you this. It was a beautiful shot. And, like, so sneakily done. Yeah. I'm going to give you this, A, because you're right. (laughs) And it got me, too. B, because I want Master of None to be a winner here. (laughs) And C, because Michael getting killed off was not nice. No, it was not nice. This could potentially be pretty nice. And even if it's not, they are both nice people who have had a nice thing. Yes. It's just that, like, life is hard. Yes. Which I guess that's actually literally the exact same story for Jane and Michael. Aww. Except, like, leaving your fiancé is a very different thing than, like, your husband dying. So. Right. The other way in which it got me is, as we've talked about several times, I don't do well with romance, and, like, I don't ship characters, and, like, I generally just don't care. But, like, in that moment when both of them were laying in bed together, it was, like, the first moment that I appreciated how sad I would have been if she had gone back to Italy. I'm so glad! Yeah. I think rom-com vacation can be credited for that. Yeah. I think there's, like, a few things at play, but definitely, like, something about the content we've watched in the last year to six months has, like, 
broken down my defenses a little bit. <laughs> As you will learn when we talk about Outlander. Right. <laughs> Kirstie's like off the fucking rails, guys. It's out of control. I'm so broken inside because all I want to do is talk about Outlander. And there were all these people who I thought were watching Outlander, and then I asked them about it, and they've never seen it. And I was like, what the fuck? (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) That means it's just me. (laughs) It's just you, baby. Oh, boy. Get hype. All right, so moving right along, Mm -hmm. let's address our next topic, which is the most important TV that Kirstie missed. (laughs) Which is one of my favorite topics in this award. This is absolutely my favorite. Because Kirstie misses a lot of TV sometimes, and she's done a really good job this year. I want to take a moment to, like, slow clap you. Thanks so much. I've worked so hard this year. You have. You've watched a lot of content. So much content. And you've come a long way. Thank you. You learned about the Star Wars. Yeah. You learned about the rom-coms. Yep. It was really great. Yeah. I'm getting there. But... The most important TV that you did miss this year was American Vandal. Oh, yeah. That's a fair, that's a fair entry. You don't yet know who did the dicks. I don't know who did the dicks. You don't know what hey with two wise means. No. And you also don't know what went down at Nana's party. And one day mm. you will. Maybe. One day soon. This show also just was... A breath of fresh air because uh-huh. it was so stupid and great at the same time. <laughs> and it was like a weird phenomenon that took hold of the internet for like uh-huh. three weeks. And somehow you missed the boat. You still make who did the dicks jokes. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I got I I'm very fluent in the internet language yeah. of this show. But I, I think it's noteworthy that it is something that you missed. I did miss it. So that is my... It's a huge bummer. That's my nominee. That's a good one. I actually had a really hard time narrowing this one down. I had a couple of strong contenders Did you pick season three of Outlander? I did not. (laughs) I should have, though. That's how I finally could have won the technicality. (laughs) (laughs) That was a good loophole. I missed an opportunity. Um. No. I had other ones. (laughs) And the one that I went with was Big Little Lies. Ooh, also a great one. I specifically identified the scene of Laura Dern screaming Yep. in Big Little Lies. But more specifically, I have missed out on all of Big Little Lies, and that is a mistake. Yeah, I really wanted to fit that into an award, and I didn't mm-hmm. find an opportunity, but that is a great little series. I have a hard time with it because I, I like, know a lot about, like, the gist of the show and, like, the story the show wants to tell in general, but I don't know what that means about the niceness of the show. So, like, if this really fits into the nice people only criteria, yeah. I feel like it's complicated with this show. American like Vandal also isn't particularly nice. <sighs> but it's so silly. It's just, like, goofy fun. It's it harmless. is. It's very innocent. You know, finding out who did the dicks is, like, a very low-stakes commitment. Yeah. Both are really good. Really important options. Yeah. Big Little Lies is nicer to look at. Uh Uh-huh. It's, like, very visually well-made. Yeah. 
That's not the spirit of the NICE Awards. No, not really. I mean, ultimately, this decision comes down to you having seen both of these to judge what it is that I have missed in society this year. I really think if we're going to narrow it down to niceness, I Uh think American Vandal is nicer. Okay. It also is just so pure in a really funny way. Right. Big Little Lies is very well made. It's a great narrative. It's not rooted in niceness. Like, I don't think one person is nice on the show. Gotcha. Do you think you're going to watch American Vandal or Big Little Lies this year? I'm definitely going to watch American Vandal. TBD if I'll get around to Big Little Lies because, you know, we're a week and a half into 2018 and I'm already behind on my list. Yeah. Which my list is mostly carryover from 2017. Oh, boy. So I'm working on it. But we'll see, because I'm sure by the time I finish this wave of content, there will be all new content. <laughs> that so is how just, content works. may just get pushed to the back burner there. That's all right. At but least we'll we've see. awarded what is yes. most important. I'm definitely going to get to American Vandal. I have to know who did the dicks. You have to know. It's so friggin' funny, too. I just can't, yes. can't emphasize how great it is. Yes. All right. Am I presenting? You are. My next? Okay. So, next one is a category that is close to the heart, and that is best friendship moment. Mine is perhaps less of an individual moment and more of like a recurring thing. Mm-hmm. But it is Chidi and Eleanor and the symbolic use of the book What We Owe Each Other. Oh. So the reason I chose this is because, um, so this is a, a book of ethics. And I believe it's all about, like, essentially your actions impacting other people and, like, how to, like, deal with other people, whatever, ethical things. And so Chidi is teaching Eleanor from a lot of different books, but this is the book where the title gets brought up constantly. And right before Michael resets everything, she rips the title page out of that book and writes, Eleanor, find Chidi. And that's how she reminds herself after the whole thing gets restarted that she needs to find him. And that's the only reason that they're able to keep figuring it out every time. Yeah. But I think the fact, like, there's a lot of different things they could have done with ethics in particular, but the fact that they chose a book called What We Owe Each Other and these particular characters have the individual life struggles that they do. Like, it's just such a neat way to package what they're going through and what they're trying to learn on their journey to becoming better people. Yeah, I agree. They're also great friends, like, on the verge of a romantical situation. Yeah, they're one of the few romantical situations that I can stomach because it's it's so much more about their friendship and the will-they-won't-they they part is, like, kind of on the back burner. Yeah. But I also, I like the idea of them together. But I also like the amount of work that it's taking to get them together. Yes. That is a great, great nomination. Thank you. So mine is... In a recent episode of Jane the Virgin, okay, uh, the Villanueva women on a road trip. Oh, yes! Yeah, it's when she's on her book tour. Yeah, so they go on a book tour, and I specifically want to highlight when they go to a bar. Yes. There's always been the kind of, like, friendship dynamic between Jane and um, Zoe, and then Jane and Alba, and... They all go on this road trip because they're trying to, like, 
run away from one thing or another and they're all kind of like having a shitty time and they go to a bar and they all basically get wasted and dance (laughs) and it's just like so fun and so pure and such a good little nugget of like what their friendship is yes and it kind of like fixes all their problems temporarily and like they're just so fun (laughs) and i just want to be an honorary Villanueva. <laughs> Me too. Well, it's like a different bonding situation than we've often seen them in. So I feel like yeah. it's one of the times when they're more real with each other. Like at one point, so Alba is trying to decide whether or not to like marry this guy. And Jane's like, just do it. And she's like, why? Because I'm so old. Yep. <laughs> that was a beautiful scene. And you never get to see Alba just like go crazy. And she just went she for it. She gets wasted. And she's so fun. She is so much fun. I adore oh, Alba. I love her so much. You know who she would be really good friends with? Hmm. Mary Berry. Oh my god. They would tear it the fuck up together. They love their liquor. Yeah, they do. It would be so fun. That would be amazing. They could write cookbooks together. Ugh, they're also, like, just great women. Definitely. I don't want to degrade them by just talking about that they can hold their liquor. Right. No, they are incredible women. They are. So that's my nomination for best friendship moment. Shit, that's a tough one. I know. I like both of these. I do too. I'm comfortable with either one winning. (laughs) Well, that's not really how award shows work. (laughs) (laughs) I'm channeling Cheaty. (laughs) Imagine if at the Oscars last year, that's how they had settled it. Yeah, that would have been super casual. (laughs) Well, you guys are both kind of best movie. Right. It's fine. It's totally fine. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know how we solved this one. I don't know either. Like we're at a stalemate because it's too good. Whatever. It's our podcast. Everyone can win. Everybody wins. In friendship, everyone wins. I'm writing that down as the winner. In friendship, everyone wins. (laughs) When this appears on our website later, that's what it will say. I love that. All right, so... Good job, friendship. Good job, friendship. We're going to move on to the award for best use of high-end finishes. This is my favorite category, I think. It's so random. I'm so excited for this one, and I'm really excited for my entry. I'm excited for your entry, too. But you get to go first, because you're the presenter. I am nominating... I've talked about this before, so it's not new information. (laughs) I am nominating the use of Kit Kats by <laughs> Kevin McLeod to demonstrate <laughs> the physics of a house made from shipping containers. <laughs> it was the most compelling science demonstration I've ever seen. He got real excited about those Kit Kats, and it was effective. I understood what he was telling me. So it was a specific type of high end, but it worked. (laughs) So funny. I love this category. It's so great. So mine is coming at this from a very different angle. Oh, boy. But it is the first episode of season two of Master of None, where he did the whole thing in black and white 
in the style of, like, old movies. Yes. The reason I am specifically calling that out as a high-end finish is because it required some amount of, if not knowledge, like, a brief brush with film history, a slight appreciation of Europe, Mm -hmm. and the willingness to tolerate black and white, which for a lot of people, like, a lot of people didn't get what he was going for because it was... It's, like, not quite highbrow, but it was just, like, off the beat enough that people just didn't know what to make of it at first. I feel like if you didn't have the reference points, it was a little bit harder. Yeah. But it was incredibly clever. It was beautifully done. Especially those first couple of minutes where he's working in the pasta shop and riding on the bike and only speaking Italian. Like, that's a really beautiful sequence. So, yeah. That is my pick. Black and white film history for high-end finishes. I would also add two more high-end finishes to that nomination, Uh which would be Aziz learning how to make pasta and how to speak Italian. Yes, like there's just a lot of refinement packed into one episode. I also want to go ahead and give you the award. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) I I thought that might work on you. It did work on me. I thought you might appreciate that one. I also think that Christina Elmusa might choose italian finishes <laughs> over chocolate finishes <laughs> however twerk would definitely take kit kat finishes yeah he would twerk would be all about them kit kats he would he would probably build it out of kit kats just to make sure he turned a profit <laughs> the comps in this neighborhood were mars bars but <laughs> the comps in this neighborhood were mostly made of butterfingers <laughs> We thought the candy shell on the Kit Kats might be able to compress better to hold the weight of the load-bearing wall. And then you could, like, picture-in-picture picture Kevin McLeod with the two Kit Kats breaking because they were in the wrong spot. Oh my god. That was, like, the highlight of my year, and I don't know why. <laughs> so funny. Oh my god. So funny. So congratulations, Aziz. Good job, Master of None. Yeah. Great job. Proud of you. Proud of you. Oh, man. All right. So next up is the most perfect individual episode. So it doesn't have to reflect the performance of a season, just one individual episode. And my pick, I didn't really realize this, but my pick appears to be an award show favorite. And it was the Thanksgiving episode of Master of None. I'm shocked by how much I came back to Master of None tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't know it made this big of an impact on me. It just happens. It just happened. My personal agenda was to have all of these awards go to Jane the Virgin. So it's like surprise upset from my own brain. Anyway, Mm -hmm. I chose the Thanksgiving episode because... So this is the episode that's about him and his childhood friend. And... They show them having Thanksgiving together every year of their childhood, starting when they're very young, going all the way until their adulthood. And through that time, you're watching his friend realize that she's a lesbian and then eventually have to come out to her family, which turns out to be a very difficult thing. And then her family works through it in some creative ways. And it was beautifully done, beautifully captures friendship beautifully captures growing up and coming of age and deals with a lot of 
different, really hard topics all at one time and still somehow comes out the other end feeling kind of warm and fuzzy, even though it's still rough around the edges, but like coming to a fairly fulfilling resolution. Mm -hmm. That's my candidate. (laughs) That was a great episode. It's such a good episode. I love that episode so much. Mm -hmm. It also was one of the few of that season that wasn't about Dev exclusively. Like there are a couple episodes um, that season where they chose to do storylines that were about other people. Yeah. And so that was interesting too, to sort of have Dev there as the excuse to make this about someone else, but to have it be someone else's story. Yeah. I also liked his role in that episode and that it was kind of like an adopted <laughs> member yes. of the family in a weird yeah. way. Yep. So my nominee for Perfect Individual episode was the very recent Bob's Burgers Christmas special called The Bleakening. Mm-hmm. It was their very first hour-long episode. Wow. And it had the spirit of my favorite Thanksgiving episodes of Bob's Burgers. So this one I liked for three reasons. One, there weren't fantastic musical numbers that were super ridiculous, and they had the time to do like a full two-minute song, three-minute song with weird stuff happening, because uh-huh. that's kind of their weird brand that I like. Yep. But in addition to that, the plot was basically about... Um, they're told about this bleakin? It's basically like a um, Krampus. Uh, like a Christmas, like, evil monster. person. Yeah, monster Christmas that, like, demon. takes your presence away. Mm-hmm. And... At the same time, it's kind of a weird political story about how one of the, like, gay nightclubs has been shut down in Mm -hmm. town, and they have a few, like, recurring characters that are either, like, gay or, like, part of the community. And so that they sort of, there's a whole thing about, like, the Belcher's Christmas decorations get taken, they think it's the bleak, and, and they trace where they went and they end up finding this um like underground nightclub that's mm-hmm. been taken over by the same people who were like going to the gay nightclub and they've made it into a big christmas party and it's this whole like very bob's burgers moral lesson about like just letting people you know like do their own thing and chase their bliss you know <laughs> whatever you want to call it um, <laughs> chase their Christmas spirit, and everyone has a great time at this random rave, and it's just, like, the most Bob's Burgers Bob's Burgers I've maybe ever seen, and it was great. That sounds so sweet. It was very sweet. We haven't actually seen it. I think it's funny that both of our candidates are, uh, holiday episodes. That's super weird. <laughs> This one, like, caught me by surprise because I was unsatisfied with the Thanksgiving episode and I was like, whatever, who needs a Christmas episode? And I was like, no, this uh-huh. was my Thanksgiving episode. Aww. Yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of the Thanksgiving episode this year either. Yeah. But Christmas is where it's at for this year of Bob's Burgers. Mm-hmm. I think, based on common knowledge alone, I feel like Thanksgiving is the right way to go here. You think? It's so good. It is so good. It is such an incredible piece of television. It is. This whole fucking season of Master of None, though, was literally a work of art. It was. 
I just want to give it all the awards. I know it's getting all the awards, but I want to give it more of all the awards. Yeah. So, congrats, overall winner, Master of None. Good job, Master of None, who swept the fucking floor. I'm going to give a little runner-up shout to Bob's Burgers. Yes. Good job, Bob's Burgers. Honorable mention. Yeah. And do we need, like, a drum roll? Yeah. What's our drum roll? You have to present it because I presented the last one. Oh, boy. (laughs) All right. This is our last award, guys. We made it. All right. Um... (laughs) (laughs) Enough! (laughs) So this, our final award, is for the best hate watch of the year. Yes. I'm a little, I'm still torn about this, but I'm going to go with my gut here. Yes. My best hate watch was the ABC original Downward Dog. (laughs) Oh, Fuck. (laughs) (sighs) I just had like six reactions at the same time. Because it was the absolute fucking worst show. (laughs) I hated every minute that I watched it, and I was also so enraged the whole time that I couldn't keep up my notes fast enough. I kind of feel like they aren't nice people, though. But they pretended to be. They definitely pretended to be. Like, the people behind that show definitely wanted you to think that this was, like, a wholesome show about people, like, messy people, but good people. Right. And instead, it was about a dog who's in an emotionally (laughs) abusive relationship with his, like, 38-year-old owner who doesn't fucking know what a mirror is. Kirstie hates the show so much more than me! Did I just bait you to choose my award? Maybe. (laughs) I don't think rage baiting counts. (laughs) Fucking hate that show. (laughs) Do you remember that time it said like 36 times in a 20 minute episode? (laughs) Oh my god. Man. That goddamn show. Remember when the dog got lost <laughs> and ran away because her boyfriend was playing VR? <laughs> For like 48 hours without a bathroom break? Oh, man. Remember when she installed the doggy door and it was <laughs> the same as like setting boundaries with other people? Oh, and the dog literally believed he had psychic powers? Remember when the dog decides to eat trash and then has traumatic flashbacks to when he was a puppy? And he said he was a trash dog. He was a trash dog. (laughs) Remember when the dog, like, shits or pukes on the rug at someone else's home and she just leaves? (laughs) She says... I'm sorry, man, who's 40 years older than me. I can't stay and make out with you tonight because my dog has had every bodily function on your carpet after eating quinoa. Ew, he was the grossest man. (laughs) He was not hot or tall. No, he was nothing. Much like this show. (laughs) Anyway, what was your best hate watch? (laughs) 
well, switching gears real fast because the, there's a total difference here. Oh, boy. But my best hate watch of 2017 was Eurovision. Wow. Yeah. Coming back. Coming full circle. Eurovision takes it as my favorite hate watch because it combined all of the most important elements of hate watch of, like, not taking the watch seriously, not being convinced that it's, like, really for you, (laughs) but being engrossed in it anyway, and then ultimately finding just, like, pure delight in it. Because this is something we talk about a lot. It's not just watching things ironically or hating things. It's, like, delighting in the thing. And I found so much delight in all of Eurovision. It was silly and ridiculous and insane and just, like, absurd. And it made my heart so full for six hours. Yeah, I did have Eurovision down for this category until I moved it to Wildest Ride. Yeah. I was far more shameless than you in giving multiple nominations. How much joy did you just have raging about Downward Dog? (laughs) It's a different kind of delight, to be sure. But it is a delight. It is a delight. (laughs) I do like yelling. And I do like passing judgment. I would also say, though, that I would never watch Downward Dog again, including, I'm not even convinced, like, if, like, Amazon picks it up and puts out another iteration, I'm not convinced I could do it to myself again. Oh, no, we're watching it. I know we are. We have a moral (laughs) obligation at this point. Right. It's, like, borderline contractual. I just, like, don't know if I spiritually could, like, do it. I can, however, do Eurovision every year and be okay. Sure. I mean, horse heads. Someone sat on an, like, 11-foot ladder with a horse head. (laughs) Someone animated a dog so it looked like it was talking. (laughs) So it just, it, like, breaks my brain when I try to think of all the things that were wrong because it all just scrambles together. Like, remember how her boss is afraid of dogs, but then he has an existential crisis about his job, so he forces himself (laughs) to hang out with the dog and then falls in love with it? And they go on a date. They go on a date and have a candlelit dinner. This was only five or six episodes. Yeah. And it feels like a lifetime. It was a lifetime. (laughs) It was less total runtime than Eurovision. But that's why I think it's the hate watch of the year. It's not coming back. This is our one chance Hopefully. to you avoid say it. that, but what if that's like a fucking curse? What if you just jinxed us? Then good for us. We have content. <laughs> <laughs> God help us if Downward Dog comes back. <laughs> I will not forgive a single soul among us. It just, like, hit the perfect kind of hate watch for me. It did. It did hit in a very good groove. It was like a summer series and no one cared anyway. And it just it just went so bad. And so many of our heroes failed us because yeah. so many people liked this show. So then we got to hate like, watch their takes. But it like also gave me feelings of inadequacy because I was like, what am I missing? No, you but were I right. I'm were right. I'm right here, to be clear. <laughs> I'm the one who's right. You are. You truly are. All right. I can't believe I'm doing this. Oh, my God. Downward dog for fucking hate watch of 2017. (laughs)
I hope you're happy out there, Martin. I'm happy. (laughs) Even if it makes me a trash dog, I'm happy. (laughs) Like, it's like a great honor and like, like, you know, I appreciate it um, because I'm a dog and like, you know, the show (laughs) is, you know, about me and I just really think that, like, this is, like, an important show. Like, thank you. I'm a dog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not to say we won't be back for Eurovision next year. Oh, yeah. Eurovision 2018 is already in the calendar. Yeah. Yeah, this is not a reflection on you, Eurovision. No, and we love hate-watching Eurovision. And always will. Mm. It just, it defined us in a different way. True. Maybe a better way, but... Probably a better way. It definitely made us better people. Yeah. Downward Dog did not make us better people. No, but it gave us better opinions. That is true. (laughs) Some of my more articulate arguments this year were about Downward Dog. (laughs) (laughs) Like, the rage just really clarified the word factory up here. Remember when they, like had sex and he was in the room oh no (laughs) and he narrates how weird it is because he doesn't know what they're doing why (sighs) oh no it was the worst show remember when she brings an ipad to a park oh she does that work on her mirrors she does that. Remember when she pitched mirrors as a unique idea for marketing? Remember when her entire nationwide marketing campaign was a mirror with white script that said, like, you are beautiful or something? I think next season's ad campaign is going to be Shiplap. <laughs> Just Shiplap. Nothing yeah. else. Yeah. There's going to be whitewash Shiplap. In every store window. Yeah. That's the campaign. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel good about this list. I do, too. It's a strong competition. We went we went in directions I wasn't necessarily expecting. Me either. I like it. Yeah. I'm excited to see where we get to by next year's award show. Me, too. And I'm really excited for next year's friendship moment when we will also say that friendship <laughs> always wins. <laughs> friendship wins. <laughs> <laughs> Go home, everybody. We already have the bit assigned. <laughs> oh, man. In friendship, everyone wins. It's true. Well, if you have thoughts or feelings or think that we made the wrong choice about any of our awards or the right choice, you can let us know. You can tweet to us at Hate Watch with us. Or you can send us an email at hatewatchwithus at gmail.com. Or you can rate and view us on iTunes and say, obviously, you guys were wrong. Only one friendship wins. <laughs> Tell us whatever you want. Maybe you don't like Rosehip Jelly Lady. I don't know. Seems criminal not to like Rosehip Jelly Lady. Yeah. Or, like, tell us who's hotter or taller than Cheedy. Yes. We just yeah. want to hear your thoughts. Want to hear all those thoughts. If there's anything we should plan to hate watch in 2018 in preparation for next year's awards, you can let us know about that, too. Yeah, I mean, we're also trying to build a content calendar, so. Right. Help. (laughs) Help. (laughs) Help us. (laughs) 
Um, and I'm going to go ahead and throw Kelsey under a bus here, but you can also find the list of winners on our website, hatewatchofthis.com. Oh, shit. If you're looking for some other content, you can find our friends at Thought Bubble Audio at thoughtbubbleaudio.com or at thoughtbubblefm on Twitter. And are they thoughtbubble at Gmail? If you want to hit that, like, email thing. Sure. Uh, and they also have a Patreon, which is some combination of the words Thought Bubble Audio and Patreon. Yeah. They've got other shows. They talk about nerd shit. It's all a lot of fun. It's a good time. It's a good time for all. Yeah. Great. Well, congratulations, winners. Yeah. Congrats, winners. Please contact us to claim your prizes. (laughs) Statuettes will be put in the mail. (laughs) Get hype. All right. Well, thanks for listening, guys. Bye. Bye. Oh, no, I just saw a recipe for cookies and cream chocolate cake, and now I'm going to be distracted the whole time. Okay, no. Close close your browser. I can't. It's got chocolate cake on it.